I've, um, we're in Psalm 57. If you've got your Bibles, open them up. I feel really heavy <laughs> with, um, with a sense of what God wants to do with us this morning. And it's come all the way through worship and it's come in, in Mike's story and it's come in the words that we've sung and it's come now as we look to the Word of God to illuminate something for us, to help us, to signpost us, to be a light unto our path and um, feel really heavy with it, not because necessarily the nature even... What Mike was talking about, as, as, as weighty as that is, but I feel a sense of what God wants to um, unlock in our hearts this morning around what it is to really enact our will in the midst of trial, in the midst of pain, in the midst of devastation, that there's a, a beauty of submission of our will to God that um, is incredibly powerful and it gets to shape the life of our future. Um, and so we are in Psalm 57 this morning. I'm going to pile through these notes just to give you some context of, of these verses, but more than anything, so that we can come back to worship at the end. And um, we are in this um, series, Psalms, and we have been looking at this whole idea of authentic humanity, that um, there's, a, there's an invitation as we read through Scripture, but as we highlight in on our journey through Psalms, there's an invitation to own our humanity. That God isn't looking for our perfect story. He's looking for our story in which He makes Himself perfect. He's looking not for our ability, but our availability, our humanity, the, the reality, the bumps, the warts, the pain, the, the struggles, the, the challenge. He wants all of that. And He wants to take us by the hand and walk us every step of the way. And um, you know, I've I, um, been around enough church cultures in various different places to realise that um, there are people that think at some level that, that being a Christian is about putting the right face on and displaying the right attributes. But actually, there's an invitation in Scripture for us to live fully real before God, but absolutely to walk in right relationship with Him. And that doesn't mean faking it. It means being very real and very honest and knowing that there is a loving Father that takes us by the hand and walks every step of the way with us. No matter, no matter where you find yourself this morning, um, there's, a, there's a beautiful story being written in and through your life and it, and it starts with the, the beautiful introduction that you don't do it alone, that Father God loves you and He's with you. And uh, no matter where you find yourself this morning, you don't find yourself alone. So Psalm 57, I'm hoping it's going to speak to two groups of people here this morning. First of all, it's going to be that group of people that are owning some element of challenge, of, of pain, or, um, some element, element of um, perhaps even devastation, grief, hurt, illness, disconnect from a relationship, that, that you'd own that in your, in your beautiful humanity this morning and you'd let Psalm 57 be an encouragement to you to enact your will to be one who praises through that problem. That there would be a fresh confidence that would come to your story and your journey this morning that would mark a, a new hope for your future. And maybe there's another group of people you're like, oh, well, it's not really me. Things are going really well and, and I'm enjoying life. But let me encourage you that, um, that I'm not speaking any sort of pain or devastation. But the reality is, is to hold the tool set of the kingdom through every season of life means that you can take something of the reality of truth from David's life and his expression of worship and praise and you can apply it in this season when everything's going well. And maybe in the next season when things are a little bit more challenging. But actually that you could take something this morning of the beauty of what it is to praise, perhaps not in your problem right now, but in the reality 
of what life looks like on into the future. I, uh, I love diving into Psalms, uh, do it personally, do it in my own devotional time. And the thing that I've um, come to realise about the whole of Scripture, but importantly Psalms, is there's a context to each Psalm that was written. There's um, actually a chronology based on the various different writers of the Psalms that would place these uh, moments of worship or these moments of poetry, these expressions of the heart. They would place them in a time and a context in somebody's life. They're not to be read as sort of 2D bits of information that we can try and assimilate into our story. They are part of somebody's story. David, who wrote the majority of the Psalms, he um, there are 14 occasions in Psalms where it references very specifically the time and space and context. And, um, and I actually want to zero in on one Psalm, Psalm 57, which sits in the context of a, a number of those 14 Psalms that... Um, there are songs of worship, songs of expression, poems written from the heart of the life of David in the context of great trial and great devastation and great pain. They're often called the outlaw psalms or the songs of an outlaw. It's the moments in David's life when he was rejected by Saul. And I'll give you some context to this to help us understand. But Psalm 57, if you wanted some other places to read, is probably found in the experiences in 1 Samuel 22 or 24. It talks about um, David being in the context of a cave. Now, there's a very important reason why he was there. It wasn't a timeshare property that he had. It wasn't an opportunity for him to get away. He was very much in exile. He was very much on the run. And what we know from David's story is that he found himself um, in Saul's court. He found himself in a really awkward position. Saul was king. He was supposed to be the great warrior. He was supposed to be the protector of Israel. And you'll remember the story the, uh, of, of David and Goliath. You'll remember the story of, of Israel being oppressed by the Philistines. And the hallmark of that was in being taunted by these giants and this army standoff between Israel and the Philistines. And Goliath was the epitome of that as he taunted and mocked the army day in, day out. And here was Saul as this warrior king who was supposed to be the man of the hour, the one who would, who would save and protect and rescue. He was the warrior king that was supposed to deal with all of this challenge that Israel was facing. And yet, who steps forward? That little shepherd boy. And he goes to meets with Saul and you remember in Saul in his despair at the situation, he, he tries to put some armour on David and that doesn't work out. And David eventually goes out, he picks up the five stones, Goliath pinged in the head by one of them and we, we know the story. And actually we'll come back to the story a little bit later. But um, that's the context. And then in the, in the preceding weeks and months and years, David is brought into Saul's court and you can imagine Saul as he's still weeks and months later hearing the accolades, the, the approval, the songs that were sung from Israel about this great warrior, David. And all the while it's reflecting poorly on Saul as the warrior king he should have been. And Saul would have been, become aware of these accolades and the adoration and the chants that would have come from the cities of Israel. And jealousy would have begun to stir up and rage would have begun to stir up as he became jealous of who David was and all that he wasn't. And this is the backdrop to this Psalm 57 because we find out in Scripture that Saul, the, 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 the rage and the anger reaches a fever pitch and he tries to kill David. And David flees gets out of the safety and the confine of the, and the riches of the of the 
of the king's court and, and he goes on the run. What's fascinating to me is really, really interesting. If you look back through Psalms, is there are zero songs or Psalms or worship that is written by David in the context of when he's in Saul's court. But all of a sudden, this tumultuous, dangerous, devastating situation happens where David goes on the run and all of a sudden, these beautiful songs of worship begin to rise from David's life. And we find ourselves in, in Psalm 57, David's hauled up in a cave, he's fled, he faces the very real threat of his life, an enemy that has unrivaled um, resources at his disposal, an army that's coming after him, professional killers are hot on his heels with one intention, which is to end David's life. And he's suffering and he's in despair. And David, who had been accustomed to various different challenges and various different um, um, various different um, yeah, challenges in his life, he now finds himself with a fresh challenge. He's holed up in a cave. He's got no army. He's got a few men around him. He's exposed and his prospects are looking, looking pretty glim. I think it's interesting and it's important just to own the context of what we're about to read in Psalm 57 because I think sometimes when we read the Psalms, we can... We can kind of read something of the, maybe even the whinging narrative of some of the Psalms. You can think, oh, you know, maybe they just got out, you know, out of bed the wrong side. Or, you know, maybe David in Psalm 57, maybe, maybe the lions were about to read about. Maybe he was just, he had a bad day and he stubbed his toe. And, it, you know, he's just reeling at life because, you know, he's got, you know, some problems in his life. But, no, we're talking about the very real threat of life and, and, and the very challenge and the problem that was facing David and hemming his life in to the point where he is a escaped to the confines of a cave. So I want to read Psalm 57 and pull a few things out to us and then I do want to go back into worship this morning. Just as a note, there are these little moments, um, Selah moments that we read in Psalms and they, are, um, they can be referred to as a pause, a place for reflection. Maybe even in temple worship, they were the uh, moments when there would be some form of instrumentation a chance to pause, a chance to reflect on what you've just sung or said. And there are these Selah moments in this, this psalm. But this is where David begins. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high, to the God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts, the children of men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net of steps uh, for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. 
My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praise to you among the nations, for your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. David must have wondered as he'd, as he'd been sat on probably a cold, wet, stony, uncomfortable floor. He must have wondered in the midst of this cave and amongst looking at his circumstances, he must have wondered, God, why on earth did you allow this to happen to me? David, who we know is, is very able to and is very happy to own his own humanity, would have asked that question. You anointed me as king. You remember back to the story as he was pulled out from the fields. Oil was cracked over his head and probably for a number of weeks and months, David would have walked the earth with the anointing oil dripping over his body, the smell of the promise of the fact that God had said he would be king. That's what he'd experienced. And now he's, he's as far from that reality as he sits in a smelly cave, not smelling that oil of his promise of his kingship, but smelling probably himself and a cave. He probably asked the question, God, why, why wouldn't you just remove Saul and install me as king? But Psalm 57 shows us that David under some, understood something a lot deeper than simply just the context of and the, and the reality of his situation. Although he may not have realised why God was allowing to suffer, he'd understood that God wanted um, something from him in his suffering. He may not have had the answer to the question why, but he discovered something in amongst his journey of running and fleeing that God was wanting to dis for him to discover something in his suffering. And David understood that the asking the question why in the midst of the suffering was actually the wrong question. The right question was always to ask God, God, what is it that you want from my life in the midst of my suffering? What is it that you could find as an aroma of worship from my life in the midst of my suffering? Could I begin to ask that question in a cave rather than why on earth am I here and not back in the palace? And David displays in this beautiful aroma of worship in Psalm 57, this unshakable conviction that answers that question of what do you want to display in my life through my suffering by saying ultimately one very simple thing, that, that God wants to be glorified. That's what David discovered, that no matter what season I'm in, no matter, no matter what circumstance I find myself in, God wants to be and can be and is to be glorified. That's what David discovered. And God's glory should be the aim of our life. No matter how you find yourself this morning, and listen, there will be a context to what, where you find yourself this morning. It may well be a season of grief. It may well be a season of being, um, being sick and actually struggling with your health. It may be sitting underneath a, a cave of desperation and despair and maybe even depression. It may be connected to your workplace, but ultimately this is a season when you get to enact your will to make a choice. This is the beauty of walking with God. We get to choose all day long. 
how we respond to the radical, unfailing, unfathomed love that He's pointed towards our lives. We get to choose. We get to say what, gets, what, what aroma of worship gets to come from my life, not based on the circumstances of my life, but on the reality of this beautiful Father, this love that is unmatched, unrivaled, that is pointed towards me. What is the aroma of my life? What is the worship of my life going to look like? No matter if I'm in a cave, I'm depressed, I lost my job, whatever the circumstances, what's going to be the aroma of worship on my life? And David starts off the first three verses, piling through them very quickly, but just pulling out some things that are so helpful. David starts off and, and it's really just a prayer request. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. Listen, there's, a, there's a, an idea that, that David has for most of us, the reality of fleeing from some sort of problem, the, the cave itself would have, would have created some type or some context of refuge, but David wasn't satisfied with a cave because he realised there was a much bigger aspect of refuge that he was going to apply his life to. And that was the refuge that he would only find in God. And so David uses this prayer language of trust. And prayer in, the, in this context really is David's expressing himself in his first few verses. It really is um, his ownership of his need, his need of God. And prayer for ourselves and for anyone else that will hear it around us is this ability for us to say, I'm a dependent person. I'm dependent. My life in isolation does not work. I haven't got this on my own. I can't handle this situation in my own strength. There is a strength. There is a refuge. There is a context of a God and my life, which now begins to make sense. And I can trust. I can put my trust in that and I can put my trust in Him. It's the beauty of posturing our hearts and life in a connection and dependence to the Lord. It sets our feet on a rock when our circumstances would tell us this is not a safe place to be. He is a rock that when our circumstances tell us that you should feel insecure and you should feel um, a context of fear, He is a rock that you can begin to start to find refuge in. He is the rock that would start to begin to tell a very different story about the circumstances you find yourself in. But what's fascinating, even in the context of this prayer, even when David is acknowledging his need um, because of his problem, he's also aware of his promise. There's this moment, this light bulb moment, even in the midst of him acknowledging what he needs, where he reminds himself even of his promise, the promise of God over his life. And therefore the awareness that God as a refuge becomes the provision to that promise. And that he's the one, God is the one, God is the refuge that will bring him from the place of his problem to the place of his promise. And God is the one that will provide. If you needed any more peas, I could work on it for you, but there's a lot in there for you. But elevating the promise of God in, in, in a moment when, when your circumstance would tell you that promise is as far away. You, we said it, I said it already. The reality was there were, there were time in David's life when he would walk the earth and he would smell the very promise of God on his life. It was the oil. It was what was cracked over his life when he was declared to be king. It wasn't that he would be king at some point. He became king when the oil was cracked over his, over his body. 
And for a season of time, he would have walked around with the aroma of that promise. And yet now he finds himself in a cave as far away from that promise as one could possibly imagine. And yet he elevates and activates his will to own that promise again and realise that promise only comes about through one who gave that promise to him. But trust involves seeing God as a greater than my problems. That's where David found himself in verse four to six. He says, my soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amidst fiery beasts, the children of men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp like swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. David describes this situation in really poetic language and, and he's really acutely aware of trying to create a context for what he's feeling. And yet I, I love these verses because something arrested David's thinking. Right in the midst of where he was becoming acutely aware of all of the pressures and the problems, something arrests his attention. These verses would make far more sense if verse 5 was put at the end of verse 6. You know, this whole acknowledgement that he's, he's around lions, this is his problem that he's got, but then... Um, They've set a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they've fallen into it themselves. That'd be a great time to rejoice. The fact that God had, had created a situation where they were going to fall into the pit themselves. But he doesn't. God, he captures himself. He enacts his will, even at the moment when he's fully aware of the problem that lies in front of him. He engages his will and he sets his heart towards praise. I think that in the midst of his problem, David suddenly realised that God is bigger than his problem. And this is, this is spontaneous, it's out of place, it's unreasonable. But praise comes out of the midst of this dark space in his heart and his thinking. And he elevates God, the one who David trusts. He elevates who God is above his problems. And here's the thing, he didn't elevate God in the light of God doing something. He elevated God and who he was in the light of what he already knew to be true about God. So far as we can tell, David still was in a cave. Saul is still the king, still after David. David's circumstances haven't changed. And yet instead of being in this, in this place of self-pity and complaining, David breaks forth in this beautiful moment of praise. How many of us do we get to the end of ourselves, our complaining, our despair, our anguish? And maybe out of some sense of duty and obligation, we'll say, well, God, you, you are in control. <laughs> How many of us get to the end of ourselves? There's an invitation that David gives us in Psalm 57, which is about us enacting our will to say, in this moment, when everything is pressing in, when I have every right to be fearful of the problem that lies at my door, at that point, Praise will come from my lips. The aroma of worship will be what marks my life. And David goes on, verses seven to nine, and he, and he gives us an indication of really two things that mark praise. And ultimately the first one is that it's deliberate, it's intentional and it's focused. Verse seven says, my heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melodies. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will, I will awaken the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, amongst the peoples. I'll sing praises to you amongst the nation. Listen, praise is not our natural response in times of trial. Let's own that as a, as a part of our humanity. 
Our natural response is to complain, is to become more acutely aware of the problem that lies at our door and to get angry with God, to be frustrated and maybe even to spiral into some sense of depression. But David fixed his heart towards praising God. He kicked his life with his will into another direction, another focus, another way of reflecting back into the midst of his circumstances. You can see it even in the way that he brings an element of repetition. He's convincing himself as he gives these words. He's stirring himself. I love David in in another psalm. He's able to speak to his very soul. He says, praise the Lord, O my soul. He's talking to himself. It's very real as humans not to just say, I'm going to find myself in a place of praise, but I'm going to walk myself towards, towards a place of praise. And sometimes you, we, you, we together, we need to praise God when we don't feel like it. It's not hypocritical, it's obedience. It's obedience. Luke 10, 27 says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind. And right in the very middle of that, it, it, it talks about loving your God with your heart. And, and for the Hebrew context, that really meant the very centre of your being. To love God with the very centre of your being, which involved lots of things, your emotions, your feeling, your senses, but it involved your will. Listen, you can love God with your will, with your choices. When it doesn't make sense, when your circumstances tell you something different, you can choose. You make a choice in response to a radical love that is pointed towards your life. It's a choice, it's a decision that despite our circumstances, we have and can offer the beauty of our worship despite ourselves. And that's the reality of obedience. Obedience isn't something that is tested when we agree or when we feel like it. Obedience is tested when we don't feel like it. So the beauty of this invitation that that David gives us in Psalm 57 is to walk in a level of obedience, to enact our will towards praise. But ultimately, he's tapping into a spiritual principle is that we get to praise before our breakthrough. We get to offer something to God that we will never get to offer him the other side of heaven where we'll have no challenge, no trial, no problem. There is something unique about what you can give to God in amongst your problem and your pain and your challenge. There's something of real beauty and it's about enacting your will and your choice to give something that is counterintuitive. And it's a thing of real beauty. And finally, that um, ultimately that Praise is a matter of uh, of not just testifying or convincing yourself, but it's testifying to others of God's goodness. And that's where he finishes off in the last few verses. He says, For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. There's something that David discovered about praise and how he positioned himself in the big story of God. At a time when you could forgive David for thinking very intentionally about his story and his circumstance, he places himself, he connects his life through praise to a much bigger story. The story of God in the earth. And so before we go back into worship, I just want to ask you this very, you know, where did, where did this conviction, where did this confidence come from with David? Where did David find the strength 
from to give praise in his very darkest hour? What causes him to have the kind of confidence and security that even in the greatest moment of suffering or challenge or trial, even in his darkest moment, that he was able to offer up a reality like verse three, where he recognised that God would send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. Where did he find that conviction, that confidence? Well, I think he found it in the field. I think he found it in the God story that he'd amassed through his early years and and into that great story of his confrontation with Goliath. I think he found that he recognised he'd looked down the pointed end of a sword before in a moment when a giant taunted him and mocked him. I think he'd looked down the fear of a sword pointed at him. And I think in these moments when he sat in a cave, he recalled the time when that very sword that was pointed at him became the sword that he would lop off Goliath's head. The very thing that became, that was his problem, the very thing that challenged him, the very thing that contended his own life was the very thing that was turned upon his enemy and where he found his breakthrough. I think David nurtured a praise journey with God because he'd seen God move in his life. Listen, steadfast confidence is not, it's not tested on the mountaintop when everything's going well. It's discovered in the valley. It's not tested in the mountain. It's discovered in a valley. And I want to tell you that I believe that, that what David had cultivated in his life was a, was a fuel of praise. Because praise ignites the fuel of God's history, the things that he'd already done. And it sets the temperature of the life that we are to live into our future. And all the circumstances and the moments where God had already broken through and into David's circumstances, David drew all of that together. He pulled on the richness of that story. And as he sat in a cave, he was able to sing a song of praise because he knew who God was. And now you may be sitting here in the midst of a problem. You may be looking at a challenge. You may look back over your history and go, well, I don't know that I have that rich history that David had. Listen, you have a history that is marked by the cross of Jesus Christ. The greatest overcoming that was ever in history, that was set in motion for your life and for my life. That great overcoming, that great love that was demonstrated in a father who gave his son Jesus to overcome death itself so that we could find life. So if you have no history, that's still in your history. And you can apply it and look through that lens of what Jesus has done for you as you look at your future. 